As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you, please, to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, um, on a day that uh, we think explicitly and uh, about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come. And we recognize that he rules and reigns over all things. Particularly, he rules and reigns over his word. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would work your word in us today by your spirit in such a way that we would leave this place assured of our salvation. We would leave this place knowing that you have indeed conquered sin and death and rule and reign are victorious over all things. And so, Father, we pray, help us now as we come to your word. Uh, please enable us to listen, enable us to understand, enable us to believe, enable us to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, turn to the book of Acts, please, in chapter 4. Acts in chapter 4, I want to read uh, verses 1 through 22. Acts in chapter 4, please. This is the word of the Lord, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they, the they there are Peter and John, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power, by what name do you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, uh, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed, been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot speak of what we we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. 
And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of all the pe- because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And we say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And there was great commotion uh, in Jerusalem on this uh, particular day. And the commotion uh, was about the fact that, uh, that a, a 40 plus year old man uh, who had never walked in his life, whose ankles couldn't hold him, whose legs couldn't hold him, uh, all of a sudden was leaping and walking and praising God. Um, the situation you might remember, if you've been around the church at all, uh, you read this as a child, if you were in the church as a kid, uh, but as you've read through the Bible, perhaps you've seen this as well, that there was a man and he was uh, lame and he was begging. He was by one of the gates of the temple. And Peter and John were coming. It was the hour to pray. They were still going to the temple to pray, the believers in Jesus. So they, they came upon this man, and, they, and, and, and there he was asking uh, for money. Um, Peter and John looked at him, and they captured his look back. Now, you've you got to be thinking that this man who was begging probably thought, they're going to give me money. I mean, because nobody looks at someone begging, Right? Unless they're going to give them money. I mean, you sort of walk by, you don't look because you don't want the guilt of it or whatever it is your motivations are. And so you just sort of walk by. But here they cut his gaze. And, and the scripture, as it speaks of the gaze, it meant that they really locked in. He knew they were looking at him. And he was absorbed and he looked back. And then Peter said something that probably took him a little bit by surprise. He says, we don't have any money. But what we do have, we'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And, 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 and at that time, Peter reached out and he grabbed the man by the arm. He didn't like say, do you believe this? Do you want to do this? Do you understand this? He didn't say anything at all. He just reached down and he pulled the guy up. And at that point in time, he received strength in his legs, strength in his ankles, and he was able to walk, he was able to leap, leap and, and, and there he was even uh, praising God. Uh, now, that got really under the skin of the Jewish religious leaders. Um, because you see, they just had this Jesus crucified and he's still plaguing them. And, and when the people wondered oh, how this happened, even before they were arrested and had to make their defense, when, when the people were inquiring and, and they were sharing about this, uh, Peter said, it isn't by our power or piety that this man was healed, but, but by the very name uh, of Jesus. You can see this if you're looking in chapter three. Uh, he says, as he says, men of Israel, why? Do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us? This is verse, I don't know what it is, verse 12. As though by our own power and piety, uh, we have made him walk. But then he goes on and says, verse 14, but you deny the holy and righteous one. You ask, that's for a murder to be granted to you, Barabbas. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made him strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence 
of all of you. It wasn't the man's faith particularly, but Peter and John had faith that he could be healed in the name of Jesus. And thus, and thus he was. Now, this got under the skin of the religious leaders uh, for a lot of reasons. One, because they had this Jesus crucified and they thought they were done with him. Uh, but also because um, their place would be taken if people followed after this Jesus. And also because they were the teachers and now Peter and John were doing teaching and, and, and that was displacing them already. And there were some, the Sadducees, who didn't believe in resurrection at all. And so for them to be talking about a resurrection of Jesus from the dead would counter what they had always taught. And even the Pharisees who believed in a resurrection didn't think it was going to happen then. They thought it was going to be a general revela- uh, resurrection of everybody at the end. And, and, and now what are they talking about? Uh, one being resurrected from the dead. And so these Jewish authorities had... Peter and John arrested. They had the right to do that. Even though Rome was in power, they had their own police. And so they sent out them and arrested Peter, Peter and John. And the big question they had for them was this. By what name do you do this? In other words, who has the authority to do this? Whose name are you invoking to, to make this happen? That a, a man who is lame is now uh, able to... To walk, And what we have here is Peter, verse 8, chapter 4, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if that moment in time, that Peter didn't get kind of a flashback to the teachings of Jesus. Remember, there was a time that Jesus told his disciples that you'll be arrested. But don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't be anxious about what you're going to say, because I'll give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will help you at this time. And, and this is what's happening right now, just like Jesus had said. So filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter said to them, rulers of the people and elders were being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man. Uh, uh, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to you, to all of you and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So he answers forthrightly by whose name? By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In other words, a, a real man, Jesus of Nazareth, from a real place, whom you crucified, that Jesus, just, just so you are confused about which Jesus is that Jesus whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. You're, the, you're going to be building this thing, this temple, this people of God. Uh, but you rejected the cornerstone. That is the most important stone, the stone in which everything holds together. You rejected this Jesus, this cornerstone, meaning your building is going to fall down. It's going to fall apart. There's nothing to hold it together because the cornerstone that is here, the cornerstone that came to hold all of this together, you rejected. So your work will fall away, but ours won't because we have Jesus, the cornerstone. And then he goes on to say, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other 
name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So if you're wondering, that's why I chose this text. This Jesus whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. Because, I trust you're not surprised by this, this is Easter Sunday. Um, This is the day that we gather to to think about the resurrection of Jesus. Now, every Sunday, of course, is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, the fact that we worship on Sunday should be a confirmation to us that our faith is founded upon this event of the resurrection of Jesus. Um, Recently, I found this yesterday, but recently in the Wall Street Journal magazine, The author was writing about the resurrection of Jesus. It's a wonderful article. I can't remember the name, though. But he says it like this. He says, The way the first Christians thought about worship and its temporal rhythms changed. That is, the resurrection of Jesus. For the Jews who were the first members of the Jesus movement, nothing was more sacrosanct than the Sabbath, the seventh day of rest and worship. The Sabbath was enshrined in creation, for God himself had rested on the seventh day. The Sabbath's importance as a key behavioral marker of the people of God had been reaffirmed in the Ten Commandments. Yet these first Christians, all Jews, quickly fixed Sunday as the Lord's Day because Easter had been a Sunday. Benedict XVI, the present Pope Emeritus, draws out a crucial point here. He writes, Only an event that marked souls indelibly could bring about such a profound realignment of the religious culture of the weak. Mere theological speculations could not have achieved this. The celebration of the Lord's Day, which was characteristic to the Christian community from the outset, is one of the most convincing proofs that something extraordinary happened. The discovery of the empty tomb and the encounter with the risen Lord. Something happened to change the whole rhythm, the whole timing of worship. Now, Presbyterians don't quote popes much, but we're all together on this one. Sunday, we worship. And so we set this particular Easter Sunday aside, apart, not because it's a more holy day than the others, but simply because it's helpful. It's helpful for us to stop and to say, all right, let's think about this resurrection. And so as I come to to think about this resurrection, and I I want to pick a text, a a passage that speaks to the resurrection of Jesus, it it sort of limits me to most of the New Testament. Right? Because it's pervasive. In the scripture, Jesus spoke a number of times about his own death and resurrection. As we read through the gospel accounts, as he's kind of prepping his disciples, he's saying that we're going to go to Jerusalem. And when we get there, uh, I'm going to be uh, betrayed. And I'm going to be tried. And I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, I'm going to rise. So. And then, of course, in the gospel accounts themselves, that's the very climax of of each gospel account. The one according to Matthew, the one according to Mark, the one according to Luke, the one according to John. Everything builds there. And and, and we'd venture to say that isn't true. That is to say, if, 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 if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, 
then there would be no New Testament. There'd be no gospel. There'd be no apostles. There'd be no church. There'd be no hope. But the very fact that there is this resurrection that moved everyone on. In fact, as we come to the early church and we look in, in the book of Acts, what we find is that, that the messages uh, were based on, built upon this very fact of the resurrection. A few moments ago, I read to you from Acts chapter 2, which is the first real Christian sermon, I guess we would say, uh, preached by Peter on this day of Pentecost when the, the men of, 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 of Israel had come to Jerusalem. And, and now, after this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, Peter preaches, and, and, and we see here, he says, um, uh, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus, again, it's always uh, this, this one. <laughs> he was a particular person. He was real. He actually walked and talked and happened. This Jesus Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And he says that there was this resurrection from the dead. Verse 32, he says, this Jesus God raised up. And of that, we're all witnesses. In other words, we've all seen it. You know, Jesus, Jesus appeared to, to his disciples there, but but also to others. In fact, as we'll see in a minute, Paul says that, and we read this earlier uh, responsively from 1 Corinthians 15, that Paul says that he appeared to over 500 at one time. So again, this didn't happen in a closet. People saw this risen Lord Jesus Christ. And then then even in, in chapter 3 that I looked at just a moment ago, verse 15, Peter says to the people, not to the religious leaders yet, but to the people. He said, you killed the author of life. That's a phenomenal expression. (laughs) And and, and so if you kill the author of life, you know that can't be the end of it. Not if he's really the author of life. And so he says, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, you see. Peter and John, he says, we are witnesses of this very fact. And then in the text I read from, from, from Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 2, the Sadducees were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And then, of course, in this then um, verse 10, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. And then later... Um, as all the disciples of Jesus gathered, we find this in Acts chapter 4, verse 33. It says, And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. In other words, as these early believers gathered together and, and were being taught by the, by the apostles, if you're an apostle, you're thinking, what should I tell them? What can I tell them? These new believers, what do they need to know? Well, they need to know that Jesus rose from the dead, and we saw it. And so that's what it was about. By chapter 5, they're being arrested again because they're preaching in his name. They're preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. In chapter 7 of Acts, we find Stephen being killed because he's a believer in Jesus. And, and what fixed his fate was the fact that he said he saw the Lord Jesus standing in heaven, alive. And so 
because he believed in the resurrection of the dead that clearly he had to go and he was killed. And then this Saul of Tarsus, what convinced him to change from being a persecutor of those who followed the way, who believed in Jesus? Well, it's because he met the risen Lord Jesus in Acts chapter 9, verse 5. And um, the, the Lord says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said that, as Paul said, Saul of Tarsus said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're, pers- whom you're persecuting. In other words, this very Jesus. And then when, when the Apostle Peter goes to the Gentiles and he, he begins to speak to them about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, what does he tell them about? Well, he tells them about the resurrection from the dead. He speaks to the household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 39, and he says, We're witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him on a tree, by hang- they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day. And then as, as Paul goes off and he begins to, to teach um, uh, others and to, to share the gospel throughout really the world, what does he speak to them about? He speaks to them about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this to the, to the, to the um, Jews and Gentiles in Pisidian Antioch. He says, and when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to uh, Jerusalem. And then when he goes to Athens, a place where they had never, they didn't know anything about God at all, he introduces them to Jesus. And what does he tell them about, about Jesus? Well, he tells them about the resurrection. And that confounds these philosophers. In fact, one puts it like this in Acts 17. He says, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And then later, he speaks to them of this resurrection again. He says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in its righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And of course, as we get into the epistles, well, what is what is what are the epistle writers, the writers of letters to the churches, what are they to tell people about? When they speak about Jesus, well, they have to speak about the resurrection from the dead. In fact, as Paul opens his, his letter to the church in Rome, he says this. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. In other words, this is his resurrection declared that he was truly, really the son of God. You might think about that. He, he died. Why does he die? Well, the, he taught, the scriptures taught, that the wages of sin is death, that it's our sin that brings death. Well, well then if he died, what does that say about him? How could he be the holy, righteous Sinless son of God, if he's dead, doesn't that mean he sinned? Well, then he rises from the dead. Well, how could he do that? Well, because he had no sin, because he was indeed the righteous, holy son of God. Well, then whose sin was it? Uh, That's the question, isn't it? It wasn't his. 
But once he had paid for the sins of other sinners, for the sins of sinners, then he was free to go. And when he rose, he said, I'm the son of God. See? And so he was declared with power to be the the very son of God. In fact, Paul would, would speak about forgiveness of sins and he would put it like this. He would say that our Lord Jesus was raised, I'm sorry, was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. When he died, he died for our sins. When he raised, it was an announcement that now sins are forgiven. And and now you can trust that sins are forgiven because they've been dealt with. I've died. I've taken their penalty. See, and now I've risen, which means my sacrifice has been accepted by my father. These sins are dealt with. They're paid for. Uh, The big word is there has been a propitiation for sins. The wrath of God is exhausted, that is taken care of. And Jesus said, and, and I'm living proof of it. Here I am. I'm living proof of it, you see. And then finally, we want to know, how is it that one expresses one's belief in Jesus? In Romans chapter 10, he puts it like this. He says, the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Why is it that you must believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Well, first of all, because you have to say that it's this Jesus in whom you believe. The Jesus who was crucified and the Jesus who was raised. And not only that, if he wasn't raised, you see, then there's no forgiveness of sins. There's no declaration that we're righteous. There's no, there's no proof that his sacrifice for our sins has been accepted. And he says, so, so of course you have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. If you don't, why would you confess him as Lord? He hasn't conquered anything. But if he's risen from the dead, he's conquered sin and death. And so you can confess him then as Savior and, and Lord. And then, of course, as the Apostle writes to the church in Corinth, we read a bit of this already this morning from the first opening verses of chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians, that here's the gospel. He said, I delivered unto you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. And then he appeared. You see, so this is the guts of it. This is the heart of it. You want to know what the gospel is? Well, you can't know the gospel unless you know that Jesus has risen from the dead. And you can't say you believe the gospel unless you believe that Jesus has really risen from the dead. And this isn't just a spiritual revelation. uh, I'm sorry, resurrection. This isn't simply a resuscitation of his old body. This is a resurrection. This is something new. Always recognizable. And it's a real body. But it's a body that's incorruptible. It's a body that's imperishable. It's a body fit for eternity. As will ours be. In fact, later on in this very same chapter, Paul says... In verse 14, if Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching's in vain. Our faith is in vain. In fact, you would have to say that we're liars. We've misrepresented God. If Christ hasn't been raised, verse 17, our faith is futile. We're still in our sins. Then you've died believing in Jesus have perished if he hasn't been raised. In fact, our only hope is 
in this life concerning Christ, we're to be pitied. Unless he's been raised from the dead. That's the, that's the crux of the matter, you see. Why did he die? Did he die for his own sins? No, he died for ours. How do we know? He was raised from the dead. And now he ascends and he rules and reigns over his work. Now, you see, when this man was healed, um, you have to ask the question, now what? What do we take from that? What do we take from the healing of this man? Do we take that that means then that um, we as believers in Jesus should walk around and find everyone who's lame and pull them up and say, walk? So does that mean that, that we should uh, take everyone who's deaf and, 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 and touch their ears and say, now here? Uh, should, uh, does this mean that we should take everyone who is sick and simply say, believe in Jesus and you'll be made well? Well, if that's the case, and we've been disobedient for centuries... Right? We've been underpowered for centuries because we just simply don't see this much past this apostolic era, this New Testament era, if you will. And in fact, as we, as we read through the scripture, we, we, we really don't find great commands to walk around and do this kind of thing or to expect this kind of thing happening. And in fact, even with this man, we know he might sprain his ankle in a couple of weeks. And if he doesn't, then a day will come when he's older and, and he gets arthritis in those joints. And they don't work as well as they once did. And he can't expect necessarily to be healed like this again. And so, so, so it was like with Lazarus, you know, he died again. It wasn't the end. It wasn't the consummation. It wasn't the fulfillment. Somehow, uh, this is being used by God through Peter and John, used by these early apostles to show something. In fact, it's likely that that Peter and John agreed at this point with these religious leaders because they said that this was a, a sign. You'll, you'll notice over in, uh, in uh, chapter 4 of Acts, verse 16. He said, what shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them. Yes, it was a sign of something. Of what was it a sign? What did it point to? Signs point to things. So what was it a sign of? What did it point to? It pointed to the fact that Jesus was alive. It pointed to the fact that there's salvation through faith in Jesus. You say, that's a big leap. Not really. On the one hand, it's fascinating. The, the same word that's used for healing is used for save. It's the same word. Because to save means to rescue from that which we're trapped in. This man was trapped in legs that wouldn't work. And he was healed so that he could walk. And then now Peter and John, they're taking this and they're moving it past that. In the same way that when Jesus healed, raised Lazarus from the dead, he moved past that. Just like when he made the blind man to see, he moved past that. Just like when he fed 5,000 people, he moved past that. When he fed the 5,000 people, he said, I'm the bread of life. When he, when he healed the blind man, he said, I'm the light of the world. When he healed, uh, brought Lazarus back from the dead, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He said, I want you to see something in this. This is a sign. And you said, well, I've never seen that kind of thing. We don't need to. Because it's here. And it's written down for us. We're supposed to read this and go, oh, I get it. 
So even though I don't see this, even though this doesn't happen now, still I get it because it's here. It's in the scripture. This is the word to us. This is the, this is the, this is the word of God. This is the sign to us. I can live off of this. I know that Jesus is alive. Why? Well, because he fed the people. He healed the blind man. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And now he's still at work freeing, you see. He's still at work freeing. And so we can call upon his name. That's the very point of it. But the point was, upon whose name? What authority do you do these in your own name? Peter said, no, it's not by my power or even my piety. It's by the name of Jesus. He's alive. And not only is he alive, but he rules and reigns. He rules and reigns over all things, you see. And so this is evidence. This is evidence of that. And so then he brings it home in these verses. Middle of verse 10. Verse 10, he says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. You see, it's because of the resurrection of Jesus. We say often, at least I say often, that it's important for us to remember that Christianity happened. That, 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 that this faith we have is not first and forth a way of life or a philosophy of life. It's first and foremost an historical event. Something happened. Jesus was raised from the dead. And, and, and being raised from the dead, therefore, puts him in this place of ruling and reigning, puts him in this place where he's the one who's conquered sin and death. And so we say, yes, it's true. It happened. Peter is saying, it happened, this Jesus, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, it's by this man that this man is standing before you well. And he says, Jesus, the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And you say, that sounds awfully exclusive why is that the only way well certainly it's consistent with with everything else in the scripture certainly consistent with everything that jesus spoke about himself remember he claimed to be the bread of life no other bread nothing else would sustain spiritually he was the bread of life he said he was the light of the world there wasn't any light other than him that you could see god and ourselves, really. He was that light. He was the good shepherd. He was the one who would gather his sheep. He was the door. There wasn't any other way to enter into the presence of the Father, into the place of rest, other than through him. It was it. He said he was the resurrection and the life. If you die, the only way to live is through him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, there isn't any other way. He said, I'm the true vine. If you're not attached to me, if you're not united to me, you die. And so it was very similar to everything else that Jesus had said. And now the apostles taking that up and saying, there isn't salvation in anyone else. There's only salvation in Jesus. No other name under heaven given among men by which 
we must be saved. You see, this salvation, this saving, this rescuing, this being made whole can only happen through Jesus. And it isn't like there's six ways, but God's only going to accept this one way because that's just his prerogative. It's just simply there's only one way. This is only the, the, the only way that can happen. I, I often say about myself that I need what Jesus did. I need what Jesus did. You see, if the only way that I'm going to be reconciled to God is if I'm righteous, then I need somebody else's righteousness. Or I'm lost. If the only way that I'm going to be forgiven my sin is to pay its debt. And if the debt of it is eternal punishment, then I need somebody else to pay my debt. Or I'll be lost. The only way to turn to God is for my heart to be inclined towards him. I need, I need somebody to work in me and change my heart. Because naturally speaking, it isn't inclined towards God. You see, I need what Jesus did. I need this very one who lived righteously so that I may have his righteousness. So that I may be reconciled to God and justified, declared righteous by him. I need one who'll pay my debt, which he did on the cross. He paid the debt of sinners. I need what he did. And I need his ruling and reigning and his power to conquer my heart, to incline me towards him. I need what Jesus did. I need what Jesus does. And so, who else can do that? Who else can bring this salvation? Who else can free us from our sin, from its power, from its penalty and the misery of it, you see? That's the point of it. Only Jesus. Uh, This is a statement that's meant to be exclusive. It's meant to let us know there isn't any other way. But it's really meant in a positive uh, way to let us know this is the way. This is really it. When Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and and, and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. He means it. He means I can really deliver on this. Trust me, really. Well, the scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, through faith in him. It's true, really means it. When Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. He really means it. He says, come on, come through me. Though it's fascinating and it's really easy to be critical of the Sadducees here, but think about what's going on here. Here's a man who they knew hadn't walked for the 40 years of his life. And now all of a sudden, because these men pronounced the name of Jesus upon him and grabbed him up, believing they, believing in Jesus, grabbed him up, and now he's walking. They're thinking, how do we do damage control? How how do we make sure this word doesn't get out? 
And you say, oh, that's blindness. That's spiritual blindness. And I realize that was my spiritual blindness. I can't be critical of them. What's the difference? The only difference is that this Jesus, the one crucified, whom God raised from the dead, has worked by his word and spirit to open eyes to be able to see that there is salvation in no one else and only his name, Jesus, has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now, one of the wonderful things about these Sundays, Easter Sunday and Christmas Sunday and so forth, is that they're big days, right? And in that sense, they're big picture days. They're, they're days that we, we kind of sit back and, 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 and we look at the big picture of things. You know, um, other Sundays we may take a particular passage and you know me, we might just take a phrase. And we might just dig deep and we might dig deep into our own hearts and lives and particular points of applications. On these big days, these are times that I think in the tradition of the church by the wisdom of God, God wants us to sit back and ask this question of us. Do you really believe this? I mean, every Sunday is a resurrection Sunday, but do you really believe this? Do you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you really believe that he rules and reigns over his word? And do you really believe that because he's been raised from the dead that sins are forgiven, that the Father accepted his sacrifice for sins? Do you really believe that? When I was a kid, I, I liked to watch Westerns. I don't know why. Maybe because that was all that was on television when I was a kid. One of the three channels we had that you had to get up out of your chair and go to the TV and change. So you just sort of watched what was on being somewhat lazy. And if there was a Western, and, and always they ended the same, at least the ones in the 60s, all ended the same. There was a fight between the good guy and the bad guy. They always started out on the plane, then they moved to the cliff, then they fell down the cliff, and then they fell into water. And they would go underwater and you'd wonder, who's going to win? And if it ended right there, you wouldn't know. The only reason you know the good guy won was because he popped up. He, he, he came, he, there he was. And you go, he won, that's great. This isn't too irreverent. The reason we know that Jesus won, the reason we know that the Father accepted his sacrifice for our sins, the reason we know that he conquered sin and death, the reason that we know that he's the Lord, the reason that we know that he rules and reigns over everything is because he was raised. And his being raised, his father said, this is my son, he has no sin. This is my son, he's from all eternity. This is my son, he rules and reigns. This is my son, he's powerful over all things. This is my son, if you call upon him, you will be saved. If you call upon him, then you see your sins will be forgiven. Your life will be transformed. 
And you can have assurance that death will never have you for eternity only for a moment. you really believe this? Let's pray. Father, I pray for myself and for all of us that the answer to that question would be yes, we really believe this. And if we do believe it, it's a recognition and humility that Jesus, you've done that work in us to save us and we're grateful. We pray then that you would give us opportunity to meditate, to think about the blessing of your salvation. We pray that then it would be applied in the whole context of our lives and we depend upon you that we have assurance of sins forgiven, that we wouldn't live under the guilt of our sin, but rather live in the freedom of forgiveness. That we would know then that we belong to you and that you would free us then from our fears and anxieties to know that if you are for us, who, what can be against us? Father, that you would enable us not to be afraid of disease that comes to our bodies, but rather trust you that you're good, that you're wise, that you will help us, even through various means, heal us, perhaps. But even if not, even if when the day comes when whatever it is kills us, that we know that we're alive forevermore in the very presence of you, Jesus, the one who lives. And the day will come when we too will be resurrected and have a body that's incorruptible, imperishable, fit for eternity. Father, we were never meant to bear the weight of the world upon our own shoulders. We were never meant to rule and run our own lives. We were always meant to joyfully submit to you, to joyfully obey you, and to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So please enable us to do that. This I pray in Jesus' name.